Our scripture reading tonight is taken in God's Word in Matthew chapter 10. We'll begin at verse 16. Matthew chapter 10 is where our Lord Jesus in the second year of his earthly ministry sent the twelve disciples or apostles out and told them what they must do. They must go to the lost sheep of Israel and preach the gospel and told them how they must conduct themselves. That's the first 15 verses. And then from verses 16 through 42, he tells them what they must expect, what will happen to them, and how they must respond. Chapter 10 of Matthew at verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my namesake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciples, that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess before also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, 
and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple. Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. May God seal his word onto our hearts. On the confession of faith that we witnessed, we're looking at verses 31 or 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. The year was 1845. The place was the Royal Navy's Officers Club in London, Great Britain. The man was Sir John Franklin and 138 sailors divided into two ships. They were going to set out to find the Northwest Passage, an all-water route from the Atlantic to the Pacific under the Arctic Ocean. These men, as they sat in the officers' club, were really ignorant of the Arctic cold or didn't really care to know about it. They did not factor in the harsh realities of the frozen Arctic. They did not pack in their ships special clothing, but they wore their regular, brightly colored uniforms, perhaps a trench coat and a silk scarf. For food, they had picked out delicacies because they thought they'd be gone for a long time. They wanted to eat off China, and they took silverware with them. And in the holds of these ships that they were going to use, these sailing ships, which could hold much, they did not load it with tons of coal for heat, but they loaded 12,000 books and an organ to play 
and cupboards for their china. They left with great fanfare. They were last seen by a whaling vessel south of Greenland. None of them survived. They all froze to death. It was only 12 years later that an expedition went out to try to discover what had happened to them, and they learned that the ships had become locked in the polar ice pack. They had tried to open and find open water. They had abandoned their ships. They had pushed lifeboats over the ice looking for open water. Their bodies were found in different locations, huddled together, and one body of a young officer who had gone the farthest to a place called Starvation Point. They found him in his blue coat and his black scarf neatly in place. They were not prepared. They either did not know what to expect or did not care. Are you prepared? Are you, am I, prepared to confess Jesus Christ in this world? And do we know what a true confession is to expect in this world? Are you prepared when you go out into your marriage and for what that will mean to truly trust and follow Jesus Christ through all of your married life. Are we prepared? When God saves us by His wonderful grace in Jesus Christ, He calls us also to a new life in Jesus Christ. He calls us to be Christ-like. That calling and what we may expect as walking in Christ, that calling is placed before us in the Bible. Jesus puts it out there in bold print. He does not put what you can expect in some remote corner of the Bible that you need to go to the prophecy of Ezekiel and some unknown verse to you, and you learn for the first time what you can expect about what it's going to be to confess Jesus Christ. No, His words are bold. Verse 22, ye shall be hated of all men for my sake. If they have hated me, your master, they must also then hate you. You will be, if you speak for me, called a devil. They have called me Beelzebub. They will kill you. He's not talking there in theory, but in reality, if you preach from the housetop, what you have learned in secret in your soul, if you're faithful in your life to that, then indeed the days are coming and now are in this world that you will be killed for my sake. You will experience division, division in your closest relationships because of me. You must bear a cross. You must follow me. That cross is the afflictions and the trials that the Heavenly Father is pleased to give to you, pleased to give to us to grow the grace of God within us. In short, Jesus says, if you are to be my disciple, saved by wonderful grace, living unto me, 
You must give up ownership of your life. And you must find everything in me and love me and follow me. In our text, the Lord is saying we must confess him. And the relation here is simply this is exactly what will bring these things to us when we seek to walk faithfully to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord is saying to us, I have saved you, but you are not to go off out of the world and find a a nice hiding place, a community that you can hide yourself in, but you are to publicly profess me before men. And it is grace the grace that saves us and love for Christ and gratitude for what he has done, that we must say as the psalmist, come all ye and hear what the Lord has done for my soul. We must confess him. I call your attention to confessing Christ before men. This is a public confession. It's necessary confession. And he confesses us. So each believer, very plainly in our text, both old and young, without exception, all who make a confession in this world of belonging to Jesus Christ and not themselves, who have been united by God to Christ, are to confess him before men. Now let's just look at those words very simply. Whosoever shall confess me before men. Whosoever. Whosoever in whom the grace of God has worked this life of Christ, this union to Christ, whosoever can say, whether as a little child or as an adult, we love him, I love him, Jesus, because he has first loved me. Does that grace of God work in you and me tonight? I know we're sinners I know we have so far to go, but does this grace work in your heart that you know the Savior and He's your Savior tonight? You love His truth. Well then, whosoever you are, whether you're a minister or an elder or a deacon, whether you're a father or a mother, whether you're a little boy in the pew, whether you're a teenager and going to covenant, whether you're going to to college, no exceptions, Whosoever, we must confess him in every place where we are, they must know that we are born of God. Not just that we can say, but I'm a nobody, I'm an introvert, I like to just fly under the radar, I go to college and I head back home, I work in the hospital, but I don't get involved in many of these questions. They must know by our conduct, by our words, that we confess Christ. Whosoever shall confess. To confess means to speak with. It means to agree. To confess means that we speak with Christ. Christ says by grace, this is one of my own. I have shed my blood for you. You are precious to me. 
and to confess is, I belong to him. I'm not my own. I belong to him. This confession proceeds from our hearts. This confession is not simply an intellectual acknowledgement. This is not simply a canned speech. This is not something that, well, we picked up in church because everybody else is saying this. Then we are a hypocrite. It must be from the heart. It must be as Peter and John who said to the rulers of the people, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. We can't be silent because we belong to him. Whosoever shall confess me, that's a person. Is it a set of doctrines and truths? It certainly is. But it's a person. It's Jesus. Who is living tonight, right now, He's not a historical figure. He's not some religious leader. He's the risen and exalted Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God, controlling the whole world by His Spirit, working His presence in our own lives, saving us from sin. He's not a helper merely. He's not a good alternative. He is the Savior. That's who He is. Whosoever shall confess Me the Son of God, the only Savior among men. Whosoever shall confess the truth about me is included. Jesus said, if ye continue in my words, then are ye my disciples indeed. We read in Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, if we become ashamed of his words, the truth of the Bible, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. How applicable. This adulterous and sinful generation. All the gender, all the stuff, whosoever shall be ashamed of that, that God made male and female, man and woman in marriage, tell life. Who shall ever be ashamed of those words is ashamed of me. We must confess him. That's a personal thing. As he's in our hearts by grace. Whosoever shall confess me before men. What men? But Jesus does not have in mind here in this text this air-conditioned auditorium tonight and confessing Jesus before people who love you and who are very happy for you and share the same faith that you have and are here to rejoice in your confession tonight. There's certainly a place for that. The place for that is shown in 1 Timothy chapter 6, what we call confession of faith in the church. That's biblical. Paul uses the word profession. There it means to confess before. And he says, Timothy, I was there, Timothy, in Lystra when you publicly in the church confessed faith. You witnessed a good profession that night, Timothy. I was there. And Paul says to Timothy now, hold on. 
to your confession. So there is the confession in this church, yes. But he's talking about a confession before men. Those who do not know. Those who are exactly like you apart from grace. Those who are going to be very irritated with you. Those who are going to reject you. Those who are going to say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. They are the ones who are at the job. They can't believe that you would believe that. They are the neighbor living next to you, perhaps. They are the person that you meet at school, at college. Whosoever, hear the words, whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. Before the world. They must see it, and we must speak it. When God gives us opportunity, when we have a comment to make, they must hear him. Maybe we don't talk specifically up. They must hear him in our hearts. And so our confession must be a bold confession. And when I say that our confession must be bold, I do not mean arrogant. I do not mean bombastic. I do not mean narcissistic, condescending, argumentative, or belligerent or what men would think was simply judgmental. Colossians 4, verse 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. 1 Peter 3, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. But it must be bold because the Lord says in this word and in the context, there is always in us Every one of us, the fear of man. And we're only blind if we deny that. Throughout the whole passage, Jesus has been talking about fear. Verse 16, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Verse 26, fear them not, therefore. Verse 28, and fear them not which kill the body. Verse 31, fear ye not therefore. He knows that we fear. He knows that we're very concerned about how other people think about us. We're very concerned about their acceptance we're very concerned about ourselves in a group. Am I how I'm coming off? We're very self-preserving. Jesus says, don't fear man. You must not do that. You must fear God. And so he gives us two reasons why, we, why our confession must be bold or two reasons why we must not fear. He says in verse 28, the first reason... Fear them not which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, fear God, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The answer to the fear of man is the fear of God. Now the fear of God, children, 
is not a dread. It's not to be scared. Certainly to be awed. Certainly to stand in reverence of God. You don't take him light. He's God. But the fear of God is an awe of God as God taught us in the Bible, the one only God, our very creator and savior. It's an awe of him. It's a trembling fear. It's a reverential fear. It is such a fear when we know him in the face of Jesus Christ. To know him in the face of Christ truly is such a reverence that is greater than any other fear. He who fears God truly need not fear men. It makes no difference to circumstance. If we fear him, we need not fear man. We fear him as a holy God, a God who hates sin. To fear God then will also mean that we understand that our sin is not a plaything, that our sin is not a one-time thing, but that our sin is a horrible thing. And we don't want to do that. We feel guilt. We can't live with the guilt. We don't want to deny Jesus because we fear God. And that will overcome. That's greater than the fear of man. In church history, You've heard of the name Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley who in the 1500s were burned at the stake by Henry Henry VIII or by his daughter in the English Reformation. Nicholas, or rather Hugh Latimer, was a Protestant who was preaching uh, before the king, Henry VIII. That was his job, to preach in the, in the palace. And Henry VIII was seeking, he was favorable to the Reformation because he wanted a divorce from his wife. And the Roman Catholic Church would not give him that divorce. So he was tolerant of the preaching of Hugh Latimer. And as he was preaching one time, he expressed verbally of the struggle that went on in his heart when the king was present. And so he said once in the pulpit, he spoke out loud of a dialogue going on in his soul, and he said to himself, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say. The king is here. And then he said to his soul, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say because the king of all kings and lord of all lords is here and he's my lord. And he preached and he burned at the stake. Not only... If we are to be bold, must we not fear men, but fear God? But we must also know the tender care of God. 
That's verses 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. He's talking there of God's minute care. Even of a sparrow. Even of the hairs. Normally you have 144,000 hairs on your head. That number is known to God tonight. Not one has been lost in the vacuum cleaner that he doesn't know about. He controls all things. He has tender care for you. When you can, by grace, confess him and belong to him, he exercises a perfect care. You may bring your fears to him. You may bring your guilt tonight to him that you know. You may bring your hurts, your sorrows, your anxiety. You may bring it all to Him. He cares for you. This encourages us. He so cares for us that we may confess Him. We don't need to worry. He will take care of us. He will take care of you. You think that things are out of control. You think that things are out of control because people don't like you perhaps because of your faith. You don't know how your job, your boss is going to respond to your Christianity and that you won't work on the Lord's Day. That you're not going to participate in this sports on the Lord's Day. Your, your child can't participate. You're not sure how people are going to take that. Be humble and speak and witness and confess. You don't stand alone. You will not stand alone this week in whatever circumstance you go through. You will not be alone. The one who tenderly cares, perfectly cares and loves you will be with you. He knows what you're going through. He will stand with you. He will give you grace. Confess the Lord. This is necessary. Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. And whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father. The words are clear. They are serious words. If the course of a person's life is simply the denial of Christ. And all his words are simply hypocritical. They're not abiding in his heart. This person will not be confessed by Christ. He does not belong to Christ. He will perish. Confession, the grace of confession, is the evidence of his grace. And therefore it is to be found in our lives it must be there. Yes, we fear. We hesitate. We fail. We avoid times sometimes when we have a clear opportunity to speak. We must repent. We want to confess Him with our lips. But read the words. The words are clear. Mark Twain 
said about the Bible. It's not the verses of the Bible that I don't understand that trouble me. They don't trouble me when I can't understand a verse. That doesn't trouble me. It's the verses that I do understand that trouble me. Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. And whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that our confession of Christ merits, motivates, is the cause for his confession of us? Is that the way it is? No. He's not talking about earning salvation. He's not talking about how we become a son of God. He's talking about the call of a son, daughter of God, of a disciple in Jesus Christ. Which one of the saints in Holy Scripture can you point your finger to and he never denied his God? Go through the whole list. Abraham, the father of the faithful, two times was asked by two different men, is Sarah your wife? And he said, no. John Mark who later becomes very valuable to the Apostle Paul, a young man, went with Barnabas and Paul on the first missionary journey. When they got to Pamphylia, the going was tough. The sacrifice were much. He said, I, I'm not in for this. I'm leaving. Simon Peter cursed and swore that he didn't know the Lord. And the Lord looked on him. Did Jesus, on that night that Peter denied him, and he's about to go to the cross, did, did Jesus deny Peter? No. On the cross, he said, Father, that name Peter, that's one that belongs to me. You gave him to me. His sin comes to me. Not to him. He's mine. Second Timothy chapter two, eleven through thirteen. If we believe not, he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Hosea chapter eleven, for I am God and I will not go back. Well, what does it mean then? It means that the grace that God freely gives to us, whereby we are saved completely by grace, is a grace that also goes on to give us the desire to confess Him and to confess Him. Grace does not make us puppets that God simply pulls the strings and we do it so that people would say, just preach Christ, Reverend. Just preach Christ. Don't bring us any, any calling to a godly life. I can't do that. Just preach Christ. Preach Christ. Somehow it gets done. No. That's not amazing grace when they say that. That's not amazing grace. That's abusing grace. That is to abuse the grace of God. The grace of God that saves us entirely of grace does not mean now that you, it doesn't matter what we do. But that grace works 
in us. That grace works in heart and will and desire. It works in the whole man. The canons say it gives us a new desire and a new will. It softens our heart. Do you confess that you're saved by grace and not by your works? Praise God. But do you also confess that you experience that when you sin and when you fail and when you fear men and when you say things that you ought not say and you do things that you should not do, do you experience a grief? Do you say, Lord, forgive me? That is amazing grace. So therefore, amazing grace comes with repentance. And it comes with dependence. We confess Him. I say it comes with repentance. We confess Him as what? We confess Him as our Savior. As our Savior from our sins. From our sinful nature. So therefore, his grace to confess him is a grace which brings us to repentance, to acknowledge our weaknesses, to pray, God, make me strong. And that grace leads us to dependence. So we don't go forth in our Christian life and we don't hear the the exhortations of parents or the exhortations of God's word and say, I know it, I know it. Yeah. I got this. Don't worry. It won't happen. To, I don't need to be told. I got this, Lord. I can handle it. Denial of Jesus? Oh, it's not going to happen to me. No. That's folly. Grace makes us humble and dependent. Grace leads to confession of Jesus in our life, in our actions, in our attitudes. They who walk with us must know that we are His. Don't deny Him. Don't hold back. Don't drift. Confess Him. Confess him because he has confessed you. Peter said to him, when Jesus wanted him to say that he loved him, he finally said to him, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. You know it because you worked it in me. You know that. Do you confess Jesus? Or are we ashamed of him always? Jesus says wonderful words to us tonight when we, with that desire that he be seen in my life and heard in my words and in my tone 
a voice. I want him, I want him in my marriage. I want him in my community. I want him on the job. I want him to be heard. Even if I'm not talking theology, I want him to be heard. Jesus says, that grace means I will confess you to my Father in heaven. Let's just meditate on that just for a moment. I will confess you be more my Father in heaven. There are not more wonderful words than that. That means that from all eternity, you were placed by God on the heart of Jesus. That from all eternity, He gave you to Jesus. That Jesus might come and suffer and die on the cross. It means when He confesses you, it means you are an object of eternal and unchangeable love of God in Jesus Christ. It means that He confessed you on Good Friday evening and on Good Friday, what we call Good Friday, that Friday at Calvary, at Golgotha, in the darkness of Golgotha, He spoke your name to the Father. There, when He laid down His life for us, He confessed our name. He did it. And it means that on the judgment day, at the end of the world, He's going to confess you. This is one of mine. This is redeemed in the blood. They belong to me. And He speaks that in your heart through faith and by grace tonight. There is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Jesus Christ. You will not be forsaken of God this week. You will not be alone. You will not be hopeless. Because He confesses you to the Father. And Jesus does this in great joy. It is joy to Him. It's not an emotionless confession. We read in these words in Luke 12, verse 8, puts it this way, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before the angels of God in heaven. When he refers to angels, he's talking about a confession that brings joy. What brings joy to angels? Well, what brings joy to angels is when they see the grace of God working in the church, in the heart of His people. When they see Jesus Christ carrying the lost sheep back home, the angels, said Jesus, rejoice in our joy. He rejoices. He doesn't confess you with tongue-in-cheek or looking down or, oh yeah. There is joy in His confession. That He confesses us means that He intercedes for us before the Father. Put your name here. Simon, Simon. Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, Strengthen thy brethren. John 17, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me out of the world. Keep, Holy Father, those whom thou hast given to me. He confesses you by his grace.
There's nothing more wonderful. Are we anxious? Are we frozen in fear? Have we decided that God is not with us? Are we tempted to give up? Are we afraid? Do sorrows drown our hearts? Do we say things can't ever be different in my life? Listen. He confesses your name before the Father. Now, we must confess him before men. It's important. It's very important. He claims your whole life as a testimony to his grace. Let us confess him before men as our Lord, our Savior, who we trust and who we love. God grant it. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. Thy word is good. We thank thee that we have from the Savior, the Lord of our salvation, clear words of exactly what we can expect. We pray that our eyes may be open, our hearts might be soft, that we may not go forth in our faith looking for china and delicacies and human conveniences and one foot and sometimes two feet in the world. But may we hear him. May we follow him. May we take up our cross by thy grace. May we lose this life that we may find it in him. May we confess him in Jesus' name. Amen.